Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Wow, these lights are bright. Uh, hey, it has been just so, so good to be part of this church over the past couple of years. Um, so I'm really grateful for the church. I'm really grateful for this community and the values that are here and the vision that's here and for just what we're doing together in the city. Um, and I'm grateful for all of you for making the church what it is. So uh, that makes me excited to get to talk to you today. Would you pray with me as we get started? Lord, um, we're so grateful for this time of Advent um, when we come and, and we recognize our need for you and we remember your coming at Christmas. Lord, and we remember how you came to be with us in all seasons of our lives. So Lord, would you come and would you meet us wherever we're at? Come and show us how you are with us um, individually in the different seasons of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my wife and I uh, used to live in Boston, Massachusetts, and there was once a few years ago when we had to drive from Boston down to Charlottesville, Virginia for a friend's wedding. And so we made a plan. Our plan was to leave work early on a Friday and drive down and we would get there a little bit after midnight on Friday night or slash Saturday morning. The route from, from Boston to Charlottesville takes you through New York City. And so I had this brilliant idea that you, the route should take you around New York City, but I had this brilliant idea that we could go through New York City and just grab dinner with a friend there, just kind of hop off the highway. Should be easy, right? Uh, so that was, uh, I, you all are laughing, because that may have not been the best plan, but we actually had a bigger problem. Our bigger problem was that back then we had these off-brand smartphones, and the phones had this built-in GPS, and we made the mistake of trusting the GPS. So we get to New York, and we pull off the highway, and it was the middle of rush hour, and the, but the GPS has us pull off the highway in, the, in Manhattan and drive through Manhattan to get to Jersey City, um, where our friend lived. Um, I recognize for any New Yorkers in here that Jersey City is not, in fact, New York. Um, just want to acknowledge that. But um, I don't know New York very well. But I do know enough to tell you that that is a terrible way of getting to where our friend lived. So we're in the middle of rush hour in Manhattan. We're like, like I think there are people who are like walking by who were going a lot faster than we were. And you know how GPS has the estimated arrival time on it? We're realizing as we're crawling through Manhattan that our GPS had lied to us about the length of the trip and the estimated arrival time is getting longer and longer and longer. So it, it, you know, it's like 2 a.m. and then 3 a.m. and then all the way up to 5 a.m. So we're realizing all this while we're still stuck in rush hour, still in Manhattan, with well over uh, half of our trip still left to go, and we still even hadn't even had dinner yet. So we felt lost and frustrated, and we felt mad at our GPS, and we felt mad at one another for no real reason, maybe me for planning the thing. Um, <laughs> I'm just being real with you all. Um, and, but ultimately, we were mad that our plans weren't working out. Our experience of being lost in Manhattan and our plans not working, um, that might kind of be a metaphor for how some of us feel about some parts of life right now. Some of us have made plans for how different aspects of our life should go, how, how we want them to go. And our plans aren't working. 
and we feel stuck and lost. Or maybe we feel frustrated that we're behind schedule of where we thought we would be. So maybe we were hoping for a career that hasn't materialized. Maybe we, maybe we moved here to Washington, D.C. to actually pursue a certain career or to take a particular job opportunity, but our career isn't going according to plan right now, and we feel like a failure. Or maybe we had a plan to be uh, married by now or be in a committed romantic relationship by now or have a family, and uh, those plans aren't going according to plan. Some of us might have been planning to buy a house by now or to have accrued enough savings to, to buy a house or we were never planning on being in as much debt as we're in. And now we're not sure how our financial plans will work out and we're afraid for the future. There might be some of us who are here who actually, our questioning is more internal. Maybe we used to have a rich, life-giving relationship with God but now we sort of barely even talk to God or barely pray. Or maybe we're going through just a, a, a season of seriously doubting or questioning our faith and we don't know what to believe and we feel far from God. Most of us make plans for how our lives should go. We make plans for how we want our lives to go, how we think they'll go. And when things don't go according to plan, it can leave us feeling lost and confused and maybe even angry. Might make us feel like we've missed God somehow. There are also probably some of us who are here who, whose lives are going according to plan. Things are going well for us, and we might just be coming to this season, this kind of reflective season of Advent, or coming to the end of the year, and we're looking back on our year, and we're just wondering, are we doing what God wants? Or we're asking, what's next? Like, what's God's plan for me in the coming year or coming years? So like Jessica said, we're in the season of Advent right now, and during the Advent sermon series, we've been talking about how God is with us in different seasons of our lives. So we've talked about how God is with us in disbelief and how God is with us when we experience rejection. Today, I want to talk about how God is with us in confusion and when our plans don't work out the way we want them to. So to do that, we're going to look at the life of Joseph in the Christmas story. So if you have a smartphone or if any of you actually still carry Bibles, um, you can go with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and it's also going to be on the screen behind me. So Matthew 1, 18, this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I'm going to raise this up slightly. There we go. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. 
we, if you've been around church very much, you might be so familiar with this story that you actually miss how dramatic and actually crazy the story is. Uh, Pastor Angela talked about this last week, but we often clean up these familiar Bible stories so that they're sort of nice enough for church or nice enough for a nativity scene. But this is kind of a dramatic passage. We know from this passage a, a couple things about Joseph. We know that he was somebody who was faithful to the Jewish religious law. So he was somebody who was doing his best to be faithful to God. We also know that Joseph was engaged. So he was probably in the middle of planning his wedding whenever this story begins. And he was in the middle, he and Mary were probably planning their life together. Another thing that we know from other parts of the Gospels in the New Testament is that Joseph was probably a carpenter. So that was sort of a skilled craftsperson and carpenters were sort of in demand. That skill was in demand in that area where they lived. So we have a little bit of a picture of what Joseph was like. Like many of us, Joseph was somebody who had a relatively good idea of what he thought his life would look like. Like the, the basic pieces of his life are there, right? So he knew who he would marry. He knew where he would probably live. He knew what he would do for his job. And he was somebody who was faithful to God. So the, his faithfulness to God and his, his following of the Jewish religious laws and his religious tradition would have shaped a lot of his planning for his life. But then this happens, or the first verse of that passage. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So, like, imagine this. Joseph is in the middle of planning his wedding. Him and Mary are planning his wedding. When his fiance comes and tells him, I'm pregnant. And Joseph knows that the pregnancy isn't because of him. I can't imagine any version of that conversation between Joseph and Mary that wasn't really, really awkward. She, she's like, it's an immaculate conception. He's like, what? I, um. Yeah, so I can't imagine conversation would have been awkward. So I'm sure Joseph would have come away from that conversation in shock and probably angry at Mary, probably confused about what to do, probably confused about his marriage plans and a bit confused about his life plans. The next verse uh, in that passage tells us about Joseph's response after that awkward conversation. So verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph doesn't believe Mary's story about the pregnancy being from the Holy Spirit, and he kind of misses what God is doing. But at the same time, even though he doesn't recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing in this situation, I kind of get it. Like, I can understand his reaction. Imagine that you're engaged and planning your wedding, and then you find out that all the evidence points to your fiancé cheating on you. So Joseph makes the natural decision. He decides he's going to leave Mary. And this verse says that Joseph is Mary's husband. Um, and it says this even though they're engaged. And the simple reason is that back then, whenever you got engaged, it was actually sort of a legal thing. You would go and officially get engaged and then start planning your wedding and then get married about a year later. Um, so if you wanted to break off an engagement back then, you actually had to get divorced. That's just how the system worked. So Joseph decides he, he's going to leave Mary, and 
maybe that same night after his conversation with Mary, or maybe weeks later, we don't know, Joseph has a dream. And this is what happens in his dream. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So I imagine that this dream that Joseph has was probably comforting for Joseph, but also really confusing. So it must have been comforting for Joseph to know that he didn't make a mistake by getting engaged to Mary. He could kind of proceed with that. But at the same time, God doesn't actually tell Joseph very much. God says, you know, go ahead and get married. Joseph knows what Jesus' name is going to be. Joseph knows that Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. But God doesn't really explain what that meant or how that would work. That, like, this is all that God told him. So Joseph knows enough to move forward and take a next step. But God is a little bit short on details. This is how God often acts in our lives. A lot of the time, God gives us a next step and enough to move forward. But sometimes that's all. And we sort of have to embrace the ambiguity. And like Joseph, we're called to move forward anyway, in the middle of confusion. After God spoke to Joseph in his dream, Joseph and Mary went ahead with their plans. They get married. And then the next chapter of Matthew tells us what happens next. So we didn't read that earlier. But what happens is, is that um, shortly after Jesus is born, the king in that region is this guy named Herod. And he, he hears a rumor about Jesus. And he hears that people are calling Jesus a king. There are histories written about Herod that are outside of the New Testament, and they basically tell the story of how when Herod is this king, and as he gets older, he kind of becomes more paranoid and suspicious. And as he gets more paranoid and suspicious, he starts killing people. Uh, so um, Herod hears that people are calling Jesus a king, and he's immediately suspicious, even though Jesus is just a baby or a toddler at this point. So Jesus and probably the rest of his family are in danger of being killed by this paranoid king. And then Joseph has another dream where God speaks to him again. So this is, this is the other dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So God saves Joseph, Mary, and Jesus from this paranoid king. And Joseph you know, wakes up his family in the middle of the night, and they escape, and they, they become refugees in another country. But here's the thing about this story. God never told them or warned them that this would happen in advance. God didn't let them know that becoming the parents of Jesus would mean that they would end up fleeing to another country and becoming refugees. God didn't let them know that they would have to get up in the middle of the night and run for their lives. God guided them one step at a time. And as they followed God, God's guidance, God gave them more guidance. Later, Joseph has another dream after Herod's death, and they, and they move back. God guided Mary and Joseph as a God who was with them. 
God didn't give them a master plan in advance. God didn't tell them how everything would work out. God didn't tell them what it would mean for their lives to be the parents of Jesus. So like I said earlier, often, a lot of the time we, we forget how dramatic and almost like messy the Christmas story is. But imagine how disorienting and confusing and scary it would have felt to wake your family up in the middle of the night, get your baby up, and run away to another country. When God became human in Jesus, God lived in and experienced the pain and the confusion and the injustice of our world. So if you're experiencing pain or confusion or injustice, know that God came and experienced it too. If you feel confused or lost about your plan for your life or confused about God's calling for you, or even if you feel confused about your faith itself, God is with you. Confusion does not mean that God is far from you. Confusion is not a sign that God is distant. Confusion isn't even necessarily a sign that you made a mistake. God is with you in confusion. So Pastor Jess mentioned this earlier, but so, so we, we, we moved here from Boston uh, about three years ago, uh, maybe four years ago, and part of the motivation for moving is that we have family in this area, and another part of the motivation for moving is that I had a, had a job opportunity here. And I was like convinced that this was God's plan for my life. It lined up with what I wanted to do, and I thought it might, it might have been God that was calling me to do this specific job. So after really carefully considering it and praying about it and weighing our options, we moved. And I started the job. And it, it ended up not working out, and, and now I work at a nonprofit. In a lot of ways, things worked out for us. Um, we have an amazing one-year-old daughter who was doing percussion over here a few <laughs> minutes ago. Um, we're really grateful to have family nearby as we figure out the complexities of what it means to be parents, and I love my job. My wife's career is going well, but, but so, so we're grateful to be here, and we're thankful for our jobs, and we're thankful for our friends and family here, but at the same time, this wasn't in my plan. I never planned to be doing the job that I'm doing, but the bigger question for me is can I trust God's plans for my life? That might be true for you too. If you're experiencing confusion or disappointments or if God feels far away, your question might be, can you trust God's plans for your life? As I have um, prayed and processed the experience of, of changing plans, and um, I've, I've kind of realized as I've, as I've kind of process this. And I've realized that I almost treat God's will the, in the same way that I put together furniture from Ikea. So who here has put together furniture from Ikea? Let's see, I gotta, okay, most of us. If you've never had the joy of putting together furniture from Ikea, here's how it works. You go to their, it's a giant store, so you go to their showroom and you see their, um, their fully constructed furniture that's set up, it looks really nice. And, but when you buy it, it comes in a box, and it's completely disassembled. And you, you, you put it together with a set of really detailed instructions and a series of steps that you have to follow, and you sort of have to follow them exactly. But if you do, your furniture will look pretty good. 
until, until, for a couple of years until it falls apart. Um, a lot of the time, we, that's not necessarily true, sorry. Um, a lot of the time, we, tr we treat God's will for our lives almost like a set of directions from Ikea. We want to get the directions in advance so we can follow them exactly. And we especially want those directions for, you know, and, and want the showroom product so that we see the, see the end product of what our lives are, are going to look like. We want to know how things are going to work out. There's a couple problems with that. First, it puts us in control. So we want to know what the end product of our lives is going to look like, and we want the, in the instructions, the precise instructions for how to get there. Because that gives us a sense of control and a sense of security. So really, it's a way of getting our security from a plan rather than from God. And like, I am all for making plans for life and making plans for career and education and retirement and having a budget. The, all those are good things. But as we plan, we're called to recognize that ultimately we aren't in control and that our security comes from God. We're called to trust God with our futures and the end product of our lives. So that's the first problem. The second problem with wanting God's will to be like in Kia instructions is that it, it actually treats God as distant from our lives. We almost treat God as this furniture designer who probably lives on another continent and sends us instructions from afar. That's not the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. God wants to be with us. One of the main metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about how God leads us is as a shepherd. So this is a really, really familiar psalm, but um, this is Psalm 23. Um, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So like I said, this is probably a familiar psalm to many of us. But look at what it says about how God leads us. God doesn't lead us by sending us instructions from a distance. God leads us as somebody who walks with us. So here's what I'm learning about how God leads us. The experience of walking through life with God and being guided by God is less like following IKEA instructions and more like a journey that we're on with God of discovery. As we walk with God, we discover more about God, and God shows us more about who God made us to be. So whether we're walking through good times or whether we're walking through the darkest valley, or whether we're walking through a period when we're completely confused and lost and our plans haven't worked out, God is with us. And God is showing us more of who God is and letting us know God more. And we're, God is showing us more of who God made us to be. At Christmas, God came in Jesus to be with us. God came to walk with us in our confusion and disappointment and doubt and in our joys and celebration. Um, so if you're in a time of life where you're sort of asking questions about what's next or what God's plans are for you, or if you're walking through a time that's just confusing, um, I want to suggest some questions that you can ask, and these are just reflective questions that you can sort of prayerfully ask yourself and ask God. These aren't questions that are meant to, like, replace questions about 
asking God to lead you. Uh, like for some of you, God ha actually has given you really specific dreams and they're actually from God and you're called to have faith for those. But sometimes we can get so focused on the future and the end product and wondering what the end product of our lives is going to look like that we can forget and miss what God is doing in the present. So here's the questions. How is God drawing me deeper in my relationship with Jesus in this period of my life? What does God want for me right now? What's God's desire for me in this period of my life? And how is God working in my life through my relationships? So you might want to alter those questions. You might want to just pick one or like put the questions in your own language. But my hope is that these questions will sort of help us pay attention to how God is present and working in our lives right now and walking with us. At Christmas, Jesus came to be with us. Jesus came and experienced the same confusion and disappointments that we experience. And Jesus knows our hopes and our dreams and our successes and our failures. And Jesus knows how our plans have worked out and gone according to plan. And Jesus knows when our plans haven't worked out. But Jesus didn't just come to be with us. Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to redeem our failure and redeem our failed plans and to even bring redemption to our confusion. So I don't know what redemption looks like for you and your life, but I do know that Jesus is working to redeem us and guide us into becoming the people that God made us to be. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, Thank you for how you did come to be with us during Advent um, and at Christmas. Lord, I, I, I'm just so grateful that you came in, experienced everything that we experienced. You experienced the difficulties and injustice and confusion of the world. Lord, you know what we're going through, Lord. And you came and experienced it so that you could redeem us. And so, Lord, I pray that um, for those who are here who are going through a time of confusion and wondering about failed plans, um, Lord would, you, Lord, would you show them how you're walking with them? Lord, let us, um, let us experience you and see how you're walking with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We've heard the word proclaimed, and now we're invited to come to this table for communion. So would you join me in this call and response? Um, this is going to be a liturgy that will be up on the screen, and this is... Um, this is a different call and response than we usually use, and it's specific to Advent. In this waiting season, in a time between times when living seems restricted, we gather. In this waiting season, in a time between times when joy seems curtailed, In this waiting season, in a time between times when action seems suspended, Emmanuel, God with us in the past, God with us in the present, and God with us in the future, we look for your coming to teach us how to inhabit this waiting time. <laughs> 